Uh, I have one announcement, and that is people have been talking and asking about swag. Like, what? So we used to have like all this at, at our old place. We had T-shirts and hats and all kinds of stuff. And so Mike and I were talking a few weeks ago because people were kind of talking. And so we're like, so we started doing some swag. And so we just actually got some hats printed. Okay, so gray and black and white. Yeah. This, oh. If you're into cowboy westerns, right there, right? Anyway. Uh, so they, they have our logo on it and stuff like that. Uh, their hats are 15 bucks. We're not making any money on them. It's what it costs us to get them made. So you can, you can grab a hat. If you'd like to order a different kind of hat, because some girls like, like the trucker caps with the snap in the back, or the snap so you can put your ponytail out the back. Okay. Uh, you, can, you can write down and we'll actually order some, but we have to have at least eight before we order them to keep them for that same price from the guy that makes them. So you can sign up. Uh, Castro hats, they do those too if you want one of those. But again, we have to have eight before we order them. We're looking at doing like t-shirts and stuff. We're going to get stickers and things again. So you can all walk around with your element merchandise apparently and drive like nuts and show people how horrible we are. So (laughs) if you're going to put an element sticker on your car, don't drive like an idiot. This is why I don't have one on my car. And the people go, who is that guy? <gasps> half the t- I, I'll end up in places half the time. Just so last, uh, what, Two weeks ago, I was talking about being... I, your third service. I can, I can just ramble. So last, two weeks ago, I was, I was talking at the end. I was talking about being kind to people around you and, and, and things like that. And I go to Costco on a Sunday, which will set you off right there. I know, right? And I go in, and there was this, there was this lady. And I wasn't mean. But I wasn't the nicest I could have been. And I went, I just totally botched that sermon right there. So <laughs> happens to me too. Didn't write a blog about it, but there you go. So if you want some swag, we got that. Hey, welcome to Element. If you're new, we don't just try and sell you merchandise. Uh, we're all about Jesus. So <laughs> on all the community tables throughout the room, there are things like, there are these sermon notes. And you can uh, pick one of those up inside. It goes deeper into what we're talking about as well as some questions to ask one another to go deeper into what we're talking about. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You can click on more and then events in version. We'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. And even if you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. And if you don't own one, we'd love for you to have it. If you forgot one, uh, you can use one. We're like that. And the Bibles are actually free. So there you go. Something's free. Actually, there's buttons. Buttons are free. There we got some buttons. I don't know. Mike, you found a great deal on these buttons. So apparently we're giving you buttons. So if you like office space. You can have all your flair. Anybody? Office faith? I, I never know what movie references are going to work because I'm old. So there you go. The red stapler. <sighs> My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, and it says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be people who trust you in all of our life seasons, no matter where we are at. And that we would understand that you are a God who is concerned about your glory and your people's joy, and that we'd be a people who bring you great glory. And that we would then settle into the great joy that you provide in all the places in our lives, the times that we understand and the times that we don't, that we would trust you in all things. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing a series on wisdom, how to bring about a culture of hope and love and goodness based out of the wisdom literature in the Bible. Mostly that is the book of Proverbs. But wisdom literature is not just found in Proverbs. The entire Bible is a source of wisdom 
for us. The whole Bible is meant to teach us how to live in wisdom and grace and goodness. And when we do that, it's going to be totally counter to the culture that we live in today. So when we say counterculture, it's not, it's not we're against this thing. It's that we are for what God is calling us into, his grace and his goodness. Uh, our culture today loves to center everything on ourselves and make everything about ourselves. Uh, the week I wrote this message, we had a gospel class. It was at our old building. And during the gospel class, we, we talked about this thing of basic Christian theology. And at the end of it, we had somebody leave element. Not because we were heretics, but because we held to something that the scriptures actually teach. And they literally said, this is what I think, and that's what matters. And I will tell you, we will never live in wisdom if we are not willing to bow our lives to God's wisdom. And so today I'm going to deal with something that may be near and dear to your heart or maybe near and dear to somebody around you, and that is the issue of singleness, of singleness. Uh, singleness in our culture is a, is a huge issue, and how our culture deals with it I think many times is just horrible and wrong. Uh, I, I think that, actually, I almost stopped doing this message about five times this week and did something else because I, I hate it when someone maybe talks about something they don't understand because I've been married at this point for years. And, and I think that uh, there was this old book by a preacher named T.D. Jakes, and he wrote this book called T.D. Jakes Speaks to Women. And I go, ooh, I don't know how that works, right? And so this is like, hey, the married guy speaks to singles. So I'm going to do my best. Uh, actually, this week, up on our website, we're going to have a couple blogs written over the next few weeks uh, by a single person who I've talked to who goes to Element. They're godly. They love Jesus. So they're going to write some blogs to talk about some of the things I talk about, maybe things I didn't go deep enough about, and then they take it in some other places as well. So I'd encourage you to go to our website and read those this week because you will get the perspective of a single person in that. Uh, I was What brought about this message is I was talking to a single guy. He was, he's almost 30, and we were talking about some of this stuff, and he, and he said, I'm just lonely, and I'm waiting for God's timing, but I don't really know what God's timing is right now. And it made me sad for him. And I thought, great, I'm writing Proverbs. We'll talk about counterculture. I'll write a message about singleness. Boom, done. And then I realized sometimes how bad it is of me, a married guy, trying to talk about this stuff. But I'm going to do my best uh, because the Bible does give us a lot of wisdom in the things that it speaks about. And again, I think our culture does this really poorly because if you're single today in our culture, what you do is you download an app and you hook up and you shack up and you break up and you make up and you start the cycle all over again. Our culture tells you it is all about you and get your needs your needs met, all your desires need to be met, and it's all about you. But that's not how the scriptures speak. We don't really understand why God actually says it's not good for mankind to be alone. And so we need to kind of understand this. Uh, And as we talk about this, again, I'm going to give you principles. Uh, These aren't promises. These are just kind of things that go throughout the scriptures and what we need to talk about. And where I'd like to start today is with some statistics. Uh, It's always a good place to start because you can make statistics say whatever you want them to say. All right, so I'm going to start there. Uh, And this goes directly about our culture that calls people when they're lonely just to hook up with somebody else. Uh, In 2014, the latest statistics we have is 50.2% of adult American singles, those over 18, adult Americans are actually single. That is on on the rise. Uh, You go back to 1998, it's 44%. 1982, it's 35%. 1976, 34.7%. And if you would have asked statisticians from 100 years ago until 2000, 2014, do you think singles will ever outnumber adult marrieds in the country? They all would have said no. It is unthinkable. But part of that is this cohabitation shacking up rate. It is skyrocketing. In the last five years, cohabitation rates have gone up 75%. 
Uh, as of 2016, there are over 13 million people living together in the United States. Uh, as reference, in 2011, there were 58 million married couples. That is actually declining. But that is, even in 2011, it's like one out of every seven. If you move to various cities, it's one out of every three. And so the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, which is not a Christian organization, they decided to do a study about this because it's so prevalent in our culture. Is, is cohabitating actually good for people? And this is what they found. This is, this is not me. This is them, okay? Cohabitating relationships are less stable than marriages and that instability is increasing. I know this is true because my wife watches Judge Judy. And, and, and every time Judge Judy is on, it's people who are living together. Now they hate each other and they want money from each other. It's, that's, that's Judge Judy in a nutshell. You're welcome if you've never seen it. There you go. Uh, living together in TVs and movies, it's, it's considered to be less stressful than being married, but the exact opposite is true. Uh, just over 50% of cohabitating couples will ever get married. In the United States, couples who live together are at greater risk for divorce after they're married than people who didn't cohabitate before they got married. Uh, Couples who live together before they got married tend to divorce early in their marriages. And if your marriage lasts seven years, then your risk for divorce is the same as couples who didn't cohabitate before you got married. So it takes you seven years just to get to that same place. Uh, Cohabitating couples had a separation rate five times that of married couples and a reconciliation rate that is one-third that of married couples. Cohabitating couples are more likely to experience infidelity where one partner cheats on the other. Compared to those planning to marry, cohabitating couples have an overall poorer relationship quality. They tend to have more fighting, violence, and less reported happiness. And again, this is not for me. This is from the study that these people did. Uh, Compared to married individuals, cohabitating people have higher depression and substance abuse rates. Singleness in our culture is a big deal. And almost nobody wants to be alone. And so how do you deal with it? Our culture teaches that how you deal with it is you, again, hook up and shack up and, and get, try and get your needs met because you feel lonely. But that's not how the scriptures deal with it. When the scripture says, when God says it's not good for the man to be alone, this is not just about in one area. This is about in all of our lives, in all of our community, how all of this begins to come together. Today, we have things as, you know, very prevalent birth control, legalized abortion, the lessening social stigma with cohabitation, uh, fears caused by rampant divorce. And so our culture goes this place of cohabitation. But is that the answer? Is, is that how uh, people are going to be happier and fuller in their lives? And the answer, according to these studies, is, is no. And if we're going to be people who speak into a counterculture, into grace and goodness in our culture, you can't just look at these people and say, stop it. That's the Bob Newhart answer, right? Stop it, right? You've got to actually step in with grace and hope and speak the gospel and the, the life that God calls us into as a people, You can't look at people who can't close the deal and say, what's wrong with you? We have to understand what the gospel is, what it calls us towards to be able to step into these situations. So what I'm going to do is talk about the reality uh, that's spoken about in the scriptures, and that is marriage is the normative call that God places on his people. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs 5. Marriage is the normative call that God places on his people. Uh, by saying that, that in no way is meant to imply that you aren't normal if you aren't married. Statistically speaking, most people end up getting married. We're to find much of our loneliness and aloneness and uh, taking care of and how we serve one another, how we first love and serve God and then one another in a marital relationship. Uh, too often, though, because of our culture and relationships, we think someone is there to always serve and give to us, to give us everything we need. Well, I'm feeling lonely. You need to take care of that so I don't 
feel this way. We always want someone to take care of us and not actually serve one another. And so in a marriage relationship, we're supposed to serve each other and find satisfaction there. And Proverbs reminds us, in a marital relationship, it's to be one of faithfulness and not wandering eyes. Proverbs 5, 15 through 19 says, drink water from your own cistern, if you know what I mean, right? Flowing water from your own well. This is, love the one you're with. You are a tough crowd. Uh, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Again, if you know what I mean. Uh, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Meaning, if you're not satisfied with your spouse, give and serve them more. Pour into that relationship rather than looking for something else. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. That's a great verse, Okay. Now, it's, this is not just talking about boobs, okay? This is also the idea that, that girls, you can touch your husband. Guys like that. Can I touch you? Guys are not going to be like, no. You're going to be like, yes. Anytime is wonderful. Water from your own well. Right here. So that, that's all. So in dealing with the issue of singleness, you've got to understand that God knows there's an issue with us being alone. He knows that in our hearts, sometimes they're broken. We want people to take care of our needs in us. And this is why Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And not good is true on so many levels. Like, again, if you see single guys, I make fun of them a lot because they will buy just the weirdest things. Like a lot of single guys, they would walk around looking like walking cotton candy most of the time because of stuff that they buy and think it looks good. But on the other side, we can't just laugh at guys because girls are the same way. Some girls, nobody knows what you look like underneath all that makeup. You've got to get a chisel and a jackhammer to figure it out. This is, the, this is the idea that we need one another. We need one another. Jesus says, Matthew 19, verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 13, 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. That's another way of saying what Proverbs 5 just said. Proverbs 5 just says it in a much more poetic way. Paul says, 1 Timothy 4, 1-3, Now the Spirit says expressly, this expression says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage. See, when people forbid others to marry, it's considered demonic. It's not considered godly. And I'm sure right now you could probably think of an entire church that has forbidden its leaders from being married. It wasn't always that way, by the way. Uh, One of the reasons they did that was they believed it would help these people to devote themselves to God more, to keep away from sexual temptation and sexual trouble. How's that working out? Exactly. If we're honest, celibacy is not purity. There's a lot of people who are single and celibate but lust all the time. Celibacy is not purity. God made man and woman to do life together. As a matter of fact, in Genesis, when it says that God made the woman from the rib, the word is actually side, and it has the connotation that God almost split Adam in two so that they would learn to do proper, equal partnership coming together. And it's, it's, and it's so what it's telling us is that men and women are meant to come together. And if they don't get to come together, it doesn't stop hormones from pumping through our bodies. Sometimes it just comes out in more heinous ways. When I'm trying to say that anyone who teaches that marriage is wrong shows they're not in line with what God says. Okay, So marriage is a normative call. Not that if you're not married, you're not normal. That's not what that means. So singleness, though, is holy for some, and it's just a life circumstance 
influence in the season for other people. I'm going to give you six different ways that the scriptures talks about people who are single. Okay, so uh, number one, uh, you, there are singles because maybe you just haven't met your marriage partner yet. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's this guy named Isaac. He meets his wife Rebecca when he is 40 years old. So he is the original 40 year old virgin. Isaac, that, that's the guy right there. Some people, I have heard them say, I just need a husband, I just need a wife. That's not true. Because even though we are made for each other, we do not complete each other. Jesus is the one who completes us as a people. And many times, if you're discontent now, wanting this thing to fulfill you, after a while, that thing is just going to leave you more discontent because it's not your Savior. Jesus is our Savior. And so while you are waiting, even if it feels like you're waiting forever, what, what can you do in the midst of that? I think we heed Paul's advice, uh, Ephesians 5.33, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so what that means is we love and respect one another even before you meet that marriage partner. You're pray- I prayed for my wife before I ever met her. And I was, I was like, God, who do you want to bring into life? Who is this person supposed to be? You never lust after an ideal. Uh, like if you're a guy and you have a list in your mind of what a girl is supposed to attain to, to be the one, you'll never find it because it's made up in your mind. Like, I want a girl like Katniss Everdeen who can shoot a bow and arrow at 100 yards and a bullseye and a chef and a Bible scholar, and she's rich. If, if she exists, she's not going to pick you, okay? <laughs> she's going to go find somebody, somebody else. But it goes to what we talked about three weeks ago, the heart, the heart. I will tell you, no woman wants to be married to a man who doesn't love her for who she is. If you have some ideal that they can never measure up to, no woman wants to be that woman. And so you be faithful to her even before you meet her. Ladies, it says women must respect her future husband. It doesn't say love. I think sometimes we throw that word around too easily. I love him is not the issue. Do you respect him? If you're dating somebody and you don't, and you don't respect them, dump him and move on. Now, it's easier said than done, but you got to because if you make kids with that guy, all you're going to do is have little clones of that guy walking around, and, and you don't want that. Do you respect him spiritually, emotionally, theologically? Does he love you? Do you respect him? And I know some of you are older and still single, but please, please, do not compromise because you'll be more miserable later rather than trusting God now in the midst of your struggle. Uh, the second thing where people are spoken about being single in the Bible is some people are single because they have been widowed. Uh, that's where your spouse dies. Some people remarry, some don't. Some people feel like after 50 years of marriage, if my spouse died, I, would, I just wouldn't get married again because they feel like they'd be cheating on their spouse. I tell my wife all the time, if she died, I'm not getting married again. She says, you can't live without sex. You would have to get married again. And I'm like, no, I mean, I haven't ever lived without sex. So I don't really know. But you know why? I, 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 I tell her that. I, I, but... There's so much work. I mean, we've been married 26 years this year, right? And, and I don't know really almost, like, I, I've been married longer than, I, than I've been single. And I don't even know what life looks like really apart from her. But I really do feel like if she died, I would never want to get remarried. Because I feel like it wouldn't be being faithful to her. And so I kind of feel that way. I understand that. Thirdly, some people are single because of a divorce. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 10, and 11 talks about this. And there are biblical reasons for divorce. Abandonment, uh, someone being unfaithful to the marriage vows, I think that can also include abuse. But I will tell you what it doesn't include. Boredom. It doesn't include boredom. I believe most people in relationships can be reconciled if we would begin to swallow our pride and give the other person what they need and we begin to serve them. And you might be someone who's in the middle of a relationship, a marriage relationship, and you're like, yeah, if the other person would just give and love and serve me, that would make it so much better. Yeah. Well, you might actually be the problem because you need to give and love and serve somebody else. We serve them constantly and consistently. 
Fourthly and fifthly, both go together, there's an issue of being a eunuch. Uh, I was talking to a young guy once who said, I believe God's calling me to be a eunuch. I don't think he knew what he was talking about. Because eunuchs were castrated men who got there by cutting or crushing the man parts or more. It's painful to even talk about. Uh, I know, that's not what he had in mind. Anyway, uh, in Matthew 19, 12, Jesus talks about three types of eunuchs. One of them isn't truly a eunuch, but in a literal sense. But he says, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So, because of our fallen worlds, there are birth defects, and some people are born that way. There are some people who are made that way by men. What that refers to is sometimes in battles or wars, people would go in and take other people as slaves. And they would like have a bunch of slave girls. And they would be like, I need someone to watch the slave girls, but they don't want somebody's hand in the cookie jar. So what they would do is they would castrate men by cutting everything off. And then they say, now you can watch the women. Now, just think about your job tomorrow if you hate it, right? At least you didn't have to get castrated to your, make, make the fries at the In-N-Out or something like that, right? It's like, it could be worse. It could always be worse, all right? But fifthly, some have renounced married life because of the kingdom of heaven. They have said, I am going to remain celibate because of the kingdom of God. This happens before you say, I do, not after. You can't be like, oh, I do, and five years in, God's calling me to be single. That's not how it works. You're committed somewhere, you stay there. You don't get to change your mind. But some people have a life call to be single. If you look in the scriptures, what kind of people come to mind when you think about this? You've got Jesus. Uh, he's single. John the baptizer, but then he was crazy and ate bugs, so he probably couldn't get a date. Uh, Jeremiah. Uh, some say the Apostle Paul. I am not sure about the Apostle Paul because, you know, Paul was a rabbi. Uh, he was a Pharisee. Most likely at one point he might have been a member of the Sanhedrin, so he had to be married. And I think that most likely at some point either his wife died or upon Paul's conversion to Christ she might have left him. But if his wife did leave him, what does he do? He stays single. And what do all these people have in common? Their life was accompanied by martyrdom. I think that if you're called to be single, God is probably going to place you in some type of life-threatening ministry. First Corinthians 7, Paul talks about a crisis where people are better to remain single only in that circumstance. A crisis is not moving to another tax bracket or you don't really want to have kids. A crisis is when there are people coming into your home and trying to kill you. I think this looks forward to the coming bloody persecution of Nero. Nero watches Rome burn when he gets set on fire at one point. He doesn't put it out, and then people get mad at him for not putting it out. And he goes, no, 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 it's not me, it's those Christians. They say their gods are consuming fire. They did it. And this whole persecution breaks out. Today, girls in the Sudan will get raped for proclaiming the gospel. Singleness is often preferable in the face of persecution and death. And so people who can refrain from it should refrain until the crisis has ended because it will take away some heartaches and, and hardship in the midst of it. But Paul clearly says that uh, if you're married, a crisis is no excuse for a divorce. In Paul's day, you had these people called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics said that sex and pleasure were essentially evil and wrong and therefore singleness is always preferred. Uh, some people still teach forms of this in the church today. They say sex is, ver- sex is dirty, vile, and nasty, and wrong. Save it for the one you love. You know, stuff like that. Uh, Paul recognizes that there's a call for singleness for some reasons, but he rejects all the Gnostics' reasons for the position. Many times, if there is a trial, it'll be easier when there's persecution if you are single. I mean, what Paul's shipwrecked at one point. What if he had five kids and a wife? That'd be terrible. That'd be terrible. And sometimes we say, well, you know, I want to be like Paul. Well, great. Be like Paul. Don't be underemployed playing video games all day. That's not Paul. Smuggling money into Sudan to get Christian girls out of slavery, that could be a Paul because you might get killed. So we look at that. Uh, And sixthly, some singles are not yet qualified to marry. And what do I mean by that? Again, Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, meaning you grow up, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and that is intimacy. 
If we want to be married, I think it means that we need to be a people who begin to grow up. Marriage is for men and not boys. It's for, it's for women and not girls. We have to grow up. Get a job, a life, a church. Call someone in to be your marriage partner. And ladies, I know I put a lot of onus on the guys on this, where guys really in our culture do need to learn how to begin to, to grow up and, and love God and love others and understand the gospel and bring people into that. But I also think for some of you girls, I'm going to get shot for saying this, but some of you girls, I think sometimes if you can get your emotions under control and I know, boom, Aaron, you're terrible. I got it. Uh, Back in ancient times, girls would get married at like 13 years old, right? Uh, Sometimes I think that they're almost more mature than our 30-year-olds today because sometimes we just seem so far behind them in, in all this stuff. Men and women need to grow up so we're not dragging the other person along. I think that if you're planning to get married, you, you find someone that theologically agrees and politically agrees with you as much as possible because there are people who are married who agree in those two things, and you know what? You still fight. I mean, you get, you get all these things in line, and yet you'll still fight. I mean, it, you should not find somebody and just say, well, they believe in God. That's good enough. Guys, the, James 2.19 says the demons believe. You don't slap a ring on a demon's finger and take it home and start a family. That's not what you do. That's terrible. And I think most people who are single, it goes right back to the beginning of some people are in a place where they just haven't, the marriage partner has not come yet. God's call for marriage and marriage is normal for most. There are some people who for a season will remain single. And what we have to understand is if you're not single, that's hard. It is a hard place to be, especially in the midst of our culture, which is pushing us in all these different directions. And so you need to have compassion and grace and understanding what it looks like in the midst of it. So if you are single and waiting, practically what kind of things in your life can you do? I'll give you seven. Uh, First off is this. I think begin to open your eyes and look around to what God is doing. Because there's more to life than just this person that you're looking to connect your life with. God is doing all kinds of things in our lives every day. The most beautiful thing is how God has rescued and saved and brought us redemption. So begin to speak of that. But I also think sometimes you can open your eyes and look around and you might just see someone around you. And when I say, you know, grow up, it doesn't mean someone has to be perfect. You look for potential. I think that, guys, there are some very godly single moms out there. I think, girls, there are some great overweight guys out there. Some people just need proper motivation in that. Uh, Secondly, don't idolize relationships. Whatever they are, we worship Jesus first and foremost. Marriage is never going to be anybody's savior. Finding someone to be in a relationship with is never going to be your savior. Jesus is our savior. Uh, Lisa Turkis wrote a blog where she talked about when she was single, she would always look around at people around her and wonder why they had all these things she didn't have. She'd see an older couple holding hands and she would say, they're so lucky to have such an easy life. And then she says, but I didn't know if they had an easy life. That's just how my mind interpreted it. She said she walked past a girl walking arm in arm with her boyfriend, and she would think she's so fortunate to feel loved. When she goes and says, but I don't know if that's actually true. That's just how my mind said that it was. She said that she she always thought she would find happiness and fulfillment and contentment were something that she would find in the future. She said, when I found the life I desperately wanted, not necessarily the life that God's calling her to, but the life that she wanted. And she said she was always focusing on what could be instead of looking for evidence of what God was doing right now in the midst of exactly where she was. And what she says is, we have to stop expecting perfection. We have to stop trying to find everything and all these relationships around us and say, all these things are perfect except for me and my life. She says there's no perfect lives. She goes, there can be glorious moments of perfection in the midst of imperfect relationships, but there's no perfect couples. And so we must always worship Jesus first and never idolize a relationship. Uh, thirdly, seek wisdom and understanding. This is what the whole Proverbs series is about. 
Jeff last week quoted Proverbs 4, 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. True wisdom only comes from God. So we trust him for the things that he has said. We seek his guidance before everything else in our lives. I think wisdom and understanding coming from the scriptures are the best defense against foolishness. Because sometimes when people are single, we make some of the dumbest decisions. I mean, I I think I had three cars and a motorcycle when I was still single. And... I shouldn't have owned. I should have owned one of them. Not not all of them. Not that any of those are bad. It's just. I I mean seriously, dudes are the craziest. If they're single, they'll get a job and they'll buy a car with a with a big old muffler that sounds like a glass pack. And it's like oh, girls, they'll like this. Whoa! It's like what? You don't own a Harley? What is wrong with you? Right? It's like so loud. It's like it's like they think the loud car is like peacock feathers. Woo! You know, it's not just annoying. Okay. Let you know, in case you didn't, there's some wisdom for you from the Bible. Proverbs encourages people to always establish a relationship with God first. We trust his ways and what he calls us to, and we apply those to our lives. Fourthly, is this. Get your life in order before inviting other people into it. And I'm not advocating a works-based theology. That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying we trust God and live how he calls us to live because that's wisdom. It's not like you live a certain way and then God gives you the thing you wanted. What that is doing is making God a means to get what our ultimate idol actually is. God should be the one that we always worship. So when I say things like this, don't think what I'm saying is you do the right thing and God gives you the right stuff. That's not how this works. But I do think we get our lives in order before we invite other people into them. See if this makes sense. Proverbs 24, verse 27. Prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. So if you've ever seen anybody, like a, like a contractor, they're building a house, what do they do? They got the foundation down, and they order all the lumber. And Hayward comes by, and they drop it all off. And then what do they do? They build the house. They get everything delivered, so they have to go down to the, the hardware store a hundred times before they build the thing. It's all there. You get it all kind of set out. And this is wisdom. We, we have our lives bowed to the greatness and the glory of who Jesus is. We begin to walk in the gospel and understand that. And in doing so, we can invite people into understanding the gospel as well as we do this. Uh, fifthly, guard your heart. And this is very important because when you're single, many times we stop guarding our hearts because we want to just let them run into all these places because people are lonely and alone. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Uh, We talked about this last week. We need to have a sober reflection of our heart and our life and prioritize the things that God calls us to first and foremost. Uh, sixthly, I would say learn to do life with God. And in doing life with God, yes, that means understanding the gospel and walking day by day, but it also means that we are in gospel-centered communities. We're walking in the life that he calls us to. God doesn't ever call us to live life alone. He calls us to live it with other people around us. So you begin to do that. Many times you'll be in places where you are lonely and other people can come alongside of you and walk with you through that, even in the places where it's difficult. Proverbs 4, 20 to 23 speaks of setting our lives on God's wisdom. Again, we live our life centered in what Jesus calls us to first. Uh, and seventhly, be careful not to be lazy or foolish. Again, this isn't works-based, but sometimes we just get to the point where we throw our hands up and we're like, you know what? Pfft, I'm just done. I'm just done. I'm never going to find. I'm never going to. And and we and we just start to be lazy and foolish in some of our decisions. Proverbs six six through eleven talks about ants. And they work hard, and they save, and they look to the future. That we're, we should be a people who trust God enough in what he's doing to walk in the gospel and walk in the ways he calls us to. And I like to kind of end with this, singleness in the example of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was God in, in human flesh. Uh, in such, he is the perfect human being. And his lack of sexual activity in no way reduced his humanity. 
And if you are single, you get to, in your life, imitate Jesus. Uh, he was tempted, but he never sinned. Jesus enjoyed relationships with singled and married men and women both, but he commits his life to the Father's glory. And I understand in saying that, you are probably thinking, got it, great, but I don't want to be like Jesus in this, right? I understand that, and I think he does too. And it means in the midst of the places where you feel lonely and alone, we can still trust him in those places. And I think if you are someone who wants marriage advice, I would also encourage you, don't ask other singles. Many times, other singles can only teach you how to be dumb. I think guys can usually only teach other guys how to be a woman repellent. Okay? So what I, I would encourage you to do is if you look around and you see a married couple that you respect and like and it looks like they have a good relationship and you like the relationship, ask them to go out to lunch. And then ply them with a whole lot of questions. Don't make the questions, how do I get a date? Because they're married and older and they have no idea, right? When, when, I, when I dated my wife and I, had, I actually had to call her on the phone and it was attached to the wall by a cord. I know. Like, what does that even mean? You, you're the, I didn't have to, you know, turn the numbers. Like, I got to push them. But, you know, it's, it, it was old, okay? And so, so you ask them, you know, what kind of advice would you give me about dating or a future relationship? Ask them if you're close enough with them and you trust them and they, they trust you. Ask them, what could I work on that would make me more attractive? Ask them that question. How do you recommend I grow in my relationship with Jesus first before all these other things that are leading me in all these crazy ways? It's because Jesus cares about where we're at. Jesus cares about where you find yourself, especially in the midst of loneliness. And the gospel is good news, even in the midst of the singleness. And if you are a married couple and somebody does come to you to ask you some of these questions about advice, don't give platitudes. Give honesty and reality. And maybe the places where you struggle with being lonely. And even maybe the places in your marriage where sometimes you still feel lonely. That you still have to deal through certain things because the relationship isn't what fulfills and completes us. It's who Jesus is and what he does in our lives. What we have to understand is singleness is difficult in our culture. And this is why we are, it's very important for us to speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what the beauty of the gospel is? Jesus knows what it is to be alone. Jesus hangs on the cross. And what does he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was alone. When Jesus is arrested, all of his disciples abandon him. He was alone. He knows what it feels like. And yet he does what he does for the purpose of being able to bring us back into relationship with God and other people again. He goes to the cross. He dies for it, separated us from God. He died for all of our sins. He rises from the grave to bring us back to life so we can be brought back into relationship with him again. He does these things. It's not about us trying to be good enough for him to love us. It's that he does love us. And he steps into where we are. And he rescues and he redeems and he saves. And that's where we have to start is understanding his great love and reconciliation of us. And then when things come into our life where we feel lonely or afraid or alone, we understand that he has also stepped into that and he can walk with us through that. This is one of the reasons why we talk about communion every week, where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me because he is the one who brings us back into relationship again. He understands loneliness. He understands how we feel when we are, we are broken and we're afraid and we want to jump into something we shouldn't jump into. And yet he is the one who calls us back into true, redeemed relationship with him again. Uh, The band's going to come up. As they do, there's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you are here today and you are feeling lonely or alone or you've made some really poor choices and you want someone to pray with you about that, maybe you just want someone to hug you because you're feeling alone, uh, they'd be more than willing to do that. 
They're more than willing to pray with you and talk with you through some of these things. Because again, it's important for us to understand how hard it is to be single in our culture today. Being single doesn't make us a victim. But being single is a place where the entire culture pushes you one direction and yet God calls us another way to trust him in the midst of it. And so if you need someone to pray and talk to you, they, they'd love to do that. Uh, there's offering boxes next to all the doors we give because God gave so much to us giving as part of our worship. We don't pass the plate. It's a response to what he's done. Uh, there's food outside. I invite you to grab something to eat, maybe take some sermon notes and sit down with some people this week and ask some of those questions about singleness and loneliness because you may not be single. You may be married and you may feel in your marriage that you're living like a single, like you are, feel like you're completely alone there. And you'd like to talk to somebody about that and pray with somebody about that. Well, take some sermon notes and meet with some other people and begin to walk through some of those things. Because our God cares about exactly where we are at. And I think we need to understand that because, again, the beauty of the good news of the gospel is that it is Jesus who brings redemption to the places that we find ourselves in. And our God will grow us in ways that we don't always like. And he will put us for seasons in places that we don't want to be. But it will grow us in the people he intends for us to be. So we trust him in the midst of it. We trust him because he is the one who restores us to life and relationship with him again. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I, I ask that you would take us as a people and have us begin to remember and understand your grace and your goodness that has been poured out to us. Father, for the people in this room who are single and struggling, who feel alone, I ask that your spirit would come even now and bring some comfort. They would bring some hope that it is not always going to be this way. That they can be in relationship with you day by day and walk with you. That you understand exactly where we are. And the goodness of the gospel speaks even to that. Father, for those in this room who are married and yet feel like they're alone in their marriage. I ask that you, again, would speak some hope and life and grace in the midst of that. And that our hearts would even begin to change there and now to understand who you are and what you've done and what you continue to do. That we would find our fulfillment not in a relationship with somebody else, but in our relationship first and foremost with you. And then understand the great blessings that you have given us by placing us in relationships with those around us. I ask that you would start to teach us how to be a people who live in your grace by how we love one another, by how we understand where each other actually is in these places in our lives. And that we would speak hope because you are the one who has brought hope to us. And that we would understand that we love because you have first loved us and we would serve because you first served us. And we would love and serve one another because it's what you call us into. Father, have us be a people who live first and foremost, understand the grace of the gospel, and then living out that great hope that you have placed within us. We thank you for being so good as to bring us back into relationship with you again. So have us, even in the midst of our loneliness, to live out the good news that we have been saved and restored and redeemed. We have a great God that loves us and himself came and died to rescue us. Have us live out the gospel story in what we do. We ask this in your son's good name.
Amen.